Welcome back to another episode of WSG Podcast. I'm your host, Kay Wynn. My Pac-12 Alliance partner up in the Pacific Northwest is Big Ben. And we've got a good one, folks. We have Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You know Rob. He's the in-host studio coverage. He does coverage for basketball, soccer, football. He's also the host of Fox's Saturday pregame show, The Big Noon Kickoff. He came up with the ham bone. And you know what? He lives by the Wishnigs. So that's another feather in his hat. Big Ben, you want to talk a little bit about our sponsor? Yeah, but first, a, a word from our primary sponsor, 88 Acres. If you haven't heard of 88 Acres, Rob, it's called the Seed Company. Everything is organic, non-GMO, nut-free, vegan-free, easy to pack in lunches. They got salad dressings, nut bars, my favorite, banana bread. They're our primary sponsor here at WST Podcast. And if you enter code WST15 in online at 88acres.com, you'll get 15% off your checkout. Let's get into it with Mr. Stone K. Wynn. All right, Rob. So we have college football Labor Day kicking off this weekend. There's been a lot of talk about alliances, Pac-12, Big Ten, uh, ACC. But I want to talk about the alliance that brought us together, the Todd and Ami Wushnig Alliance, your neighbors. Looking back on it, this is well, well before COVID, everyone. I remember we crashed your front like yard because you're having a barbecue and we saw Jim Jackson and Matt Leiner and we wanted to talk sports with them. <laughs> and that's why we came over. But I haven't heard from you since. I'm wondering, maybe I said the wrong thing to either Jim no, or Matt. No, no, not a bad little patio get together, by the way. Yeah, a nice random night with some of my uh, my work colleagues. Um, every once in a while, you know, the streams cross and align and come together and I'm able to hang out socially with some of my buddies that I spend a lot of time with at, at work. So uh, if you've been around recently, you've probably seen Alexi Lawless hanging out, drinking some rosé and some Chardonnay and um, yeah. some tequila as well. So the patio is always open. Todd hasn't been around as much. His, his girls are getting to that age where they're requiring a little bit more work than before. And he, he the old man also seems to be going to bed a little bit earlier. He is. You would be happy. Um, I saw Ryan Wishnig this weekend, and she said she learned how to cartwheel from your daughter. So shout out to your daughter. She's right over there. She's just, just out of scene. Good job, Chandler. Way to teach cartwheels to America's youth. <laughs> so, Rob, if we go back. You are from the East Coast, soccer star at Colgate. You spent some time at uh, ESPN. You were a production assistant. Then you were in Georgia. You did some time in Tampa. If you think about your first couple years out of college in the broadcasting world, can you talk us through some of your favorite moments and maybe less than glamorous jobs that you uh, took along the way? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's you know, I don't want to be like grumpy old man, get off my yard. You know, but things, have, things have certainly changed in, in this industry from when I was trying to get into when people probably today are trying to get in. Um, and there are just so few opportunities. Um, the options were incredibly limited. So I graduated Colgate and, and what I'm doing now is really what I always wanted to do. So that that was always in the back of my head, but I knew that there had to be a plan B, whether that was you know getting into advertising, um, or coaching or doing something like that. So I kind of pursued all of these things at, at the same time. Uh, I moved back home to Simsbury, Connecticut. I moved back into my bedroom. Um, I was working public access television. I don't even, do they still have public access television? I think they do. It was basically <laughs> like 
like my town's equivalent of C-SPAN, right? And I would do <laughs> JV women's basketball games all by myself. And at halftime, it would be five to three and there's no halftime show or no commercial. So I would just sit there and just talk. You know, it's like one camera just shooting the court. There's nothing but friends and family there. My mom was the statistician. Um, and I just kind of kept plugging away, trying to find an in somehow, some way. And um, at a funeral service of all places, one of my friend's uh, mom passed away and sitting in the pew in front of me was um, a father of a friend of mine who I played soccer with for years. He was a longtime employee uh, behind the scenes at ESPN. And he kind of, you know, did, those, did the old roll around with the shoulder and, you know, said hi to us. And he said, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm at a I'm at a funeral with my parents and I'm living in my bedroom. Um, and he, he knew what I wanted to do. And he said, I can get you an interview, but that's all I can do. And then turned his shoulders back to me. And so I had this interview for uh, production assistant at ESPN, which was essentially just everything behind the scenes. It was a six month temporary job. I was able to get that, but even though you have it, it's still just a temporary job. So if you got a bus for six months to, learn everything that was out there and also make an impression and, and hopefully stick around if it's something that you want and something they want. I was able to succeed in that, got a got a full-time production assistant job. And then from there, I was able to kind of kind of keep moving up the food chain. That, that job for me was, um, I've said it before, was grad school for sports television. And this was, this was the heyday of, of the network. Um, you know, I would come in and I would be ripping prompter sheets or doing research or answering phones. Um, and I would be doing it all with legends in the industry, you know, um, a young Mike Tirico, Bob Lee, a younger Chris Fowler, Gary Miller, Dan Patrick, Keith Oberman, Chris Myers, um, the humans, like all of these guys, right, are instantaneously recognizable when I say their name. And, um, you know, Linda Cohns and just banging out the workload that I had with these people. And I, I got the interaction with them and I knew what I wanted to do. Most of them knew that I was close to what I wanted to do, but it wasn't quite there. And several of them were really kind and, and helpful in, in passing along some knowledge or some encouragement. So I remember times, um, you know, I would work the 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift so oh, wow. for, for West Coast bias, right? Because people on the East Coast had to stay up for all those, you know, late night, um, late night hockey games from, from the Campbell Conference, you know, or, or the Mariners <laughs> were playing a late game with the Tigers. And somebody had to be there to log these games. And, and shove it on a sports center at you know some ungodly hour on the East Coast, but it also re-air in the morning. So I would I would be doing things for these these anchors and and guys like Chris Myers and Chris Fowler particularly really kind of softly took me under their wing. Um, and I remember one time running the, the buildings. There were all these buildings on the campus, and they they were connected through like these skyways because you can have obviously bad weather in the winter in Connecticut. And I, I was just kind of a an energetic young man, and I would sprint from the screening room, which is where I watched the game and created a highlight for Sports Center, and I would run that tape, literally a tape like this, and a shot sheet, piece of paper, which is describing everything that's on that tape. I was the producer for that, that Mariners-Orioles game, right? <laughs> and I'm running down the hallways, and there were always these weird doors in the way, and I would karate kick the doors. So I wouldn't lose momentum because I knew they, they were getting on air soon and I had to get them to stuff and I'd run it in and I'm out of breath and here you go, Mr. Fowler, you know, here's, here's the tape. And he would just sit there and he'd look at me and he'd go, all right, read the highlight to me. 
And, you know, you're in a big newsroom with luminaries and people that are also right on your level, which is really, really, really low. And I would sit there in front of the TV and, and a deck and I would say the highlight like I would have said it on air, not just sort of like top of fifth, 1-1 one, one game, yeah. base hit to left. I was punching it in. I was saying names. I was dropping in some facts. And he was like, all right, that's really good. Try this. Try that. So through the, you know, through the months and years, I would get more and more reps if you can call it with people like that. Um, and that just led to a connection that led to my first on-air job in Albany, Georgia. That's a long-winded answer. I don't even know if I took a breath right there. But, you know, it was so long ago that I was able to kind of literally start on the ground floor and learn everything about sports television at a place that was the absolute breeding ground for incredible sports talent at the time. And then I was able to transfer that talent and that knowledge to a local market in southwest georgia and just experiment just succeed and fail time you know rinse and repeat succeed and fail succeed and fail trying to get a you know a strong tape together to get to your next stop and then your next stop etc so that's kind of how it how it began for me and um i really cherish those memories you know i, I think there's a lot of people in this industry who uh these days can kind of launch themselves into a, a bigger more high profile job almost out of college yeah. And they asked me for advice, you know, how do I get into these jobs? I'm like, I don't, it's a different world than when, when, when I was trying, because, you know, I look at you and you're, you're in your mid twenties and, and you're talking about, you know, the Anaheim angels, right? You're, you're, you're talking yeah. about um, NHL games. Like I was hoping just to get to a market that had, um, you know, indoor football, you know, this is awesome. This is amazing. It's so professional, you know, and, and it's, it's just, um, a different time, but I would I would never change it because it, it gave me such a fantastic foundation and it gave me a sense of um, uh, realism what this industry is all about. It also gave me some some pride that I know that I I, I didn't miss any steps. I wasn't mm -hmm. taking two steps at a time. I was kind of methodically taking each step, but I was prepared for each step. And and that's something that doesn't happen that much these days. I think a lot of people get thrown into a job and and you can't say no to it, but they're not ready. They're not prepared and this industry will, will will chew you up and spit you out and you don't get a whole lot of opportunities. And, and I was fortunate that mine was slow and steady, but I was always prepared for that next step. So you mentioned you're doing everything that you want to do or you did want to do. You know, you cover bowling, soccer, basketball, football. Bowling was never on the list. <laughs> Ever on the list. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to, to a sport that I absolutely love right now, um, but no way, no how was I thinking at some point, baby, baby, you're, you're, you're going, you're going, you're going places with bowling, you know, hello, <laughs> hello, Akron, Ohio. Let's, let's do some bowling. Now, what a lot of people think of Rob Stone, they think of your isms and the stuff you yeah. said for bowling. So what happened to get you more involved in the bowling world? You know, the, the bowling gig was, was really a fluke one and, and it was offered to me um, kind of out of the blue when I was still at ESPN. And uh, <laughs> I still don't really know why. I, I think it was because they knew that I'd done a lot of other sports and I could just kind of handle it. I think they knew I was low maintenance and I, I wouldn't embarrass the product and I'd, 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 I'd figure out a way to get it done, right? Yeah. And it came at a really difficult time in my life. My, we already had one child. My wife was pregnant with twins. I was doing soccer and college football already at the same time. And then they dropped bowling on me on 
on like day's notice and I knew nothing about the sport. And it was the one time in my career um, where I, I kind of hit a pause button and I said, I'm, I'm going to research the sport. I'm going to research my event. I'm going to treat it uh, in, the, in the manner and fashion that it deserves. But at, at some point I am tired and I need to go to bed or I need to do something else. I'm going to do it. I am not. It was like the first time I was going into an event not overprepared. And, and, and you can see it, I think, in anything in life. You know, our industry, if you're, if you're a rookie quarterback, you're coming in overprepared, right? You know all these playbooks, but it slows you down. And you're, you're thinking, all right, I got to look over here. I got to do a check down. And I do that. It was the first time that I allowed myself to like be me and breathe and relax and just say, hey, the guy next to me, Randy Peterson, is a Hall of Famer. He knows everything there is about bowling. I don't need to know this. Um, I tried to learn, you know, the scoring on the fly. Like, okay, so he's at 178. That means this. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. It's like, when does it work that way? But these dudes know it. So it was this life lesson of just, hey, slow down, prepare yourself, but also have yourself in position to actually react to what is going on and, and be genuine and fun. And if this is not your lane, keeping score and knowing, you know, the X's and O's of bowling, don't do it. Stay out of it. And it became for me just this really fun, refreshing, relaxing event where I would go into with no stress. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm going into college football games, I was like, I don't know how many more of these games I'm, I'm going to get. I, I need to prove to my bosses that I can move up this, this ladder. And I, I want games that, you know, involve Big Ten programs, you know, not, not somebody that's, you know, sitting in, in the bottom of the ACC. Um, <laughs> and with bowling, you know, no offense, I didn't care that much if I failed. And it gave me this great release, this great freedom to just buy things and have fun and smile and be relaxed. And it's, it's a tip that I, I hand off to a lot of young broadcasters these days is absolutely you have to be prepared, but don't go in being a slave to your notes and, and, and your yeah. boards and everything. You, you, you need to react to the game because uh, that's the reason you're watching. That's the reason I'm talking. Yeah, the more natural approach. I went to school for broadcasting as well. Rob, okay, where? Edward R. Murrow School of Broadcasting oh. at uh, in Pullman. So we, you know, top top ten ish. Yes. So I share with you. I think my offers out of school were Bozeman, Montana, yeah, uh, Lewis, Lewiston, Idaho, and um, God, small town in Utah. But yeah, and then I you mean, would, the and then you would have you would have jumped at any one of those had they said, "Come on to town," right? Come on to town. But there was also the, the quick story I'll tell you. The sales manager came in and said, who, who wants to be on ESPN? Or the station manager, local station manager out in Spokane. Who wants to be on ESPN? Everyone raises their hand. They go, you have a better shot of becoming a quarterback in the NFL than you do of being on ESPN. So, Rob Stone, I commend you because uh. you fought, <laughs> clawed your way up there. And Albany, Georgia, man. I mean, it's it's a place nobody has ever been to and that was that was my start and it, it was awesome but I remember there was a I can't remember what the trade magazine was back then I feel like it was like a sports business journal or some type of trade magazine out there and at the back of this magazine um it had you know the classifieds the ads Do you, does anybody remember ads and classifieds right <laughs> and I would flip through there like looking for you know any type of opening sports reporter news report whatever it was and I remember week in and week out for months, if not years, there was always an opening at some station in Guam. And, and, <laughs> Guam. I'm like, I could be the sports guy in Guam. And I, if, if you gave me a globe right now, I, I don't even know where I would go for Guam. I would just look for the blue water and I would hope a speck of land there is Guam. 
Um, but that's how desperate I was. I was like, if Guam, if Guam wants me, <laughs> I want Guam. It was okay, a we'll sports business journal. I remember looking through I, that as well. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> well, Rob, now you're a big part of uh, the college, uh, college football team at Fox. And this, the college football season kicked off. Most would probably say it's a, it was a pretty soft opening this weekend, unless you were a big Brett Bielema fan or uh, you're a UCLA Bruin fan. Uh, you're off to the Midwest this week. The first question I have for you, though, we're a West Coast pod. Uh, just remember that. Is Zach Charbonnet or Jake Hayner, former Husky from Danville, a more likely Heisman candidate after this week? Neither, but Zach Charbonnet got himself <laughs> into the score, right? And, oh, by the way, I don't think they teach defense in Hawaii, but, hey, you, you run against the opponent out there. But he's got an opportunity, and UCLA – can I get into my little UCLA rant right now? They, Absolutely. And, and it kind of, it kind of, you know, bleeds into a Pac-12 conversation about the opportunity that UCLA has this weekend on Fox at the Rose Bowl against a name program like LSU. It's not every day that a Pac-12 program gets, you know, uh, a, you know, a reputable SEC program that comes into their town, particularly just a couple of years after winning a national title. So, yes, Hawaii is a bad team, uh, but UCLA did what they had, and now you get this sense here in LA that there's, there's actually this genuine optimism about the two football programs in LA. Um, USC is getting it sorted out in the recruiting department. UCLA, you know, they needed that win, but a win in, in week one over a program like LSU in front of what they're saying is going to be like in the 60,000s at the Rose Bowl. All of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, it's, it's coming back. It's finding its way back to the West Coast. And, and these are the type of wins that the Pac-12 desperately needs because they haven't had them for so long. If you look at some of the early matchups that involve Pac-12 teams, and, and we've seen it for years, the seasons can almost be made or broken already by week two, not just for the programs, but for the conference as well, right? If you get a UCLA win over LSU, I, East Coast eyeballs are going to say, oh, wait, maybe, maybe the narrative is changing. You get an Oregon win at Ohio State in week two, the narrative is changing. You get a Washington win at the big house over Michigan, the narrative is changing. And they're saying to themselves, you know what, maybe we've, we've overlooked the Pac-12 and this is the year they come back. So there is a lot riding on the conferences and, and the UCLA's particularly with, with Chip Kelly in year four. Um, there's a lot riding early on in the season for, I think, the entirety of the Pac-12. And, and that, that doesn't even have anything to do with the alliance and future scheduling and, and adding, or adding programs if they're ever going to do that. I don't think they are. Um, but I think it's shaping up to be a fascinating, fascinating year for the Pac-12. Absolutely. Well, let's step on, stick on that topic. It was uh, earlier announced that uh, George, I'm going to, this is where I didn't pre prepare. Klevikov is the new commissioner, and some may say that he's already done more than Larry Scott in his yeah. tenure, short tenure. Where does he go from here in your mind, Rob, to really bring them back to the conference of champions? Yeah, so he, he in said, the realm of football, I guess I should say, sure, right? Because they're always sure. going to claim that outside. Yeah, you know, I, you know, men's and women's basketball will have a say, and and you know, God bless the Pac-12 for their success through the years in, in the Olympic sports. Um, yeah. But in the end, you know, it, this is this is a business, right? And and if business is good, it means your football programs are, are doing well, and everybody, you know, sucks at the teat of the football program, whether it's a conference level or or you know on the university level on, on campus. So they have to do better at that. I was fortunate enough um, to have some time with him uh, at a Pac-12 dinner here in LA a couple of weeks ago. And 
you know, I was like, why, why, why this? Because his, his resume doesn't really say, oh, this guy's going to be a future commissioner. And he said, I came in and I fixed a lot of companies. And, and he left it at that. And we talked about other things, but that, that line really stuck out at me because he's admitting something that we all knew. Pac-12 needed fixing. It, it needed help. It needed, frankly, to be, be resurrected. And he recognized it, right? He's, he's not too big to say, oh, we're just fine. Don't worry about the Pac-12. He's saying, no, we, we've got some issues that we need to sort out. And I think that's the first major step that was necessary for the Pac-12 to get going. Um, they said, we're not going to expand. I think I'm okay with that because you don't want to just expand for expansion's sake. You know, look, there's a lot of programs in the Big 12 right now that are absolutely desperate to stay relevant. And they want to attach mm-hmm. themselves to anybody that they can. But if it doesn't make sense for you, don't do it. I don't think it makes sense for the Pac-12 on, on numerous levels. Number one, financially, because all you're doing is, is now you're, you're making everybody slice of the pie a little bit smaller if that program that comes in isn't really going to add anything to that. The alliance, I love. And I, I love it because I, I, I was getting frustrated with the way that SEC seemed to be manipulating college athletics and college football. And, and I understand why they did it. Like, I understand Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 because they're looking out for number one. But I think it's that mentality, looking out for number one, that is hurting the entirety of college athletics and certainly college football. And, and the two, those two major programs leaving for the SEC, you know, right now they're, they're wearing the black hat, right? You know, they're, they're the heel in wrestling terms right now. And, and they're big and they're bold and they're bad. And I want to see them as much as anybody, but I don't like the message that they're sending to college sports because they're basically saying it's us. And then everybody else is irrelevant and ACC and PAC 12 and big 10 coming together and saying, you know, like I've had enough of being bullied probably is, is one yeah. of the words they might've used because SEC is, is using their pulpit to bully college football, to bully um, broadcasters. And obviously my company, you know, is, is impacted by that decision as well. So I love the fact that the three of them, you know, again, I'm a wrestling nerd. So like an alliance just sounds so proper wrestling terms to me, right? Like, you know, from parts unknown, weight unknown, the alliance. <laughs> and the fact that all the programs, you know, are, are in unison with this. I know there's no signed deals, but to me, it looks as, as a bit of a kind of a voting block type conversation where, hey, if, if these things that we're voting on, right, only really help the SEC and really only help them come college football playoff time, we need to look out for ourselves because we damn well know they're not looking out for us, right? The SEC mm-hmm. doesn't care about Ohio State. They don't care about Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Washington, Washington State. They care about themselves, and, and I understand that. I love the fact that the alliance is saying we need to be bigger and stronger and and unified in this. And and I think their word will be heard. And I think they're going to have a much larger say in in how things go forward. So I, I think the Pac-12 is is already going in the right direction. I think every step that has been uh, placed in front of them has been taken wisely and slowly and accurately. In the end, I think the next thing is, as we mentioned, is getting wins. Right? Is getting relevant. Is yep. getting more teams ranked. Is getting a legitimate. A national title contender out there. Oregon may be that team. USC, believe it or not, may be that team. They might cause some, some noise. Uh, and then after that, it's scheduling these games. You know, I, I would love to see USC flying to Columbus, you know, to take on the butt. Who wouldn't, right? College football fans are saying, I want these games. Um, and basketball does it. Like, I'm a basketball guy, too. Basketball gets it. They do it right. There's so much, there's so much more nimbleness in the scheduling department for them, you know, 
um, where you can get matchups when your teams are good, right? It's not like, hey, Northwestern had a good year. Let's schedule them right now with Oregon. Ah, well, guess what? You know, in the next three years, Northwestern might be a little rough, and all of a sudden that matchup doesn't look good. But we know coming into yeah. 2021, they're both going to be at good points. Let's 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 lock let's lock them up and play a competitive game. So I think the scheduling is kind of that next big thing and waking up people on the East Coast to how good football is out here on the West Coast. And that's a tough one. Absolutely. Yeah. People, things people don't realize is that actually from a revenue aspect, the Big Ten led each every conference in, in terms of revenue in each conference or for their conference, respective conference. So, Rob, if you could clarify some kind of unknowns for probably the masses out there who look at this alliance as just the scheduling. Is there anything outside of that we could see in outlying years outside of this, just a, a more aligned scheduling opportunity for these three conferences? I, I think that's going to be the thing that is most visible to the fan out there. And, and there'll be crossover into, you know, into some of the other sports as well. Um, but I think the big thing is, you know, what's going to happen with the college football playoff picture. And there had been all this momentum about expansion and growing it. And, and the SEC saying, all right, we're going to keep getting more big name teams <clears throat> to increase our value. So if we're going to go from four to eight teams, you know, for years, the SEC, it's always been that conversation. Are they going to get one or two? Because you know damn well they're going to get at least one. And there's going to be another team. And, and I'm not knocking the SEC. Wonderful programs that deserve to be in there. But they're saying now, all right, if we get to eight teams, what is it, like four, right? Four from us, and then we'll, we'll scatter the rest. And, and I think it's important for the other conferences, you know, to, to have some of those bell cow type programs that, that, that raise the level of everybody else, right? What Ohio State has done in the Big Ten has elevated the Big Ten, right? It's clear. What Oklahoma has done in the Big 12 has raised the entirety of the Big 12. Same with Alabama, obviously, in the SEC. Unfortunately, you know, in the Pac-12, that program probably needs to be USC. Um, I think Oregon does fit that fit that bill, but they just don't have that that recognition, that relevance um, across the country as I think a USC does. But there's no reason to say they couldn't do it together and and in unison. So I think there needs to be you know a powerhouse in the Pac-12, somebody where you know on, on big noon kickoff we're saying, oh, we've got to hit. USC this mm -hmm. week. I don't care who they're playing, Eastern Washington, whatever. We've got to talk about USC because they're relevant and they've got a Heisman contender. And, and I think Oregon can slip into that conversation. And then you start pulling up a couple of the other programs, you know, that you'll see in the SEC or the, or the Big Ten that, or even the Big, Big 12 that will have kind of one of those outlier type years, like a Northwestern every three or four years, they've got a good year. Iowa State is going to be that team this year, I think, in the Big 12, and they were already kind of that last year. So I think, you know, the Oklahomas are lifting up the Iowa States. USC and Oregon need to lift themselves up, and then they need to carry up a couple other programs every other year with them. 100%. I agree. We always talk about the Pac-10 and their scheduling. It was Pac-10 after dark, and then it was Friday night games, and it was breakfast starts, and they've been struggling to get viewership in an audience um, but more importantly, they just haven't had the team that's won enough to gravitate and have fans flock to them. And by the way, the Pac-12 after dark to me is some of the most entertaining college athletics out there. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know we kind of smile and laugh about it. And maybe that's the problem because there is no smile and laugh about it in the SEC or Big Ten, right? Everything is so serious and every game matters. But when it's, you know, when that, that clock turns awfully late on the East Coast and certainly here on the West Coast, you just kind of smile because I think you're just inundated with football. But 
but, but the antics that happen and the moments and the weather that comes into play and the comebacks, it, it's chaos and it's amazing drama and it's great theater and it's a shame that more people aren't seeing it because if they were watching it, they would say, this is awesome. Like I want to watch yeah. Pac-12 After Dark every damn week and I know I do and it's, it's a great way to conclude a Saturday, but it's damn late. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. really, really late for those on the East Coast, and and the people that matter, the people that that move that media needle on the East Coast, they've long ago checked out, and then you forget the NFL is just X hours away. So that window is is just so minute. So the Pac-12 needs to figure out what it is, you know. And I think sprinkling in some of these these early starts help. Um, you know, look, we're, we're a partner with the Pac-12, and, and we had that early start last year of Arizona State, USC, when the Pac-12 returned to football. That was a big deal for us and for those universities and that conference. We put a lot of resources into that. We went fighting for that. And I'm not saying a Pac-12 team has to do that every week, but I think you can find a couple little weeks, particularly if two teams are on a good path, say, hey, you know what? We've got, you know, A and B are unbeaten and it's, it's week seven, and it's really nothing else is going on in the Big Ten or Pac-12, like, what if we move that kick to, you know, to 9 a.m. Pacific? Would you guys be interested? Hell yeah, we'd be interested, and the East Coast would be yeah. interested as well. 100%, we agree. So if you look at college football this year, uh, I want to start talking about some of the players, some of the faces, but before that, I want to go back. So two years ago, it was Tua, it was Burrow, and it was Chase Young. Like a lot of people were talking about them. Last year it was Mac Jones, um, it was Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields. You know, who are some of the names that you see that have the potential to be the face of college football this year? It's an interesting topic because I was I was just I was just going through my notes uh, today, and there's only like one dude right now that's on that list. And it's Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, the quarterback. You know, he's He's head and shoulders above everybody in the in the Heisman race right now. And look, you don't win your Heisman in August and September, right? This is a November type trophy, but he's really kind of the only name out there in college football. And it's, there's this weird opening out there this year, and at big programs. And and you know, you mentioned you know the Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State openings. These these are three of the biggest programs on our planet, and they all have brand new quarterbacks essentially at the helm and they're all dynamic quarterbacks and they're all going to be potentially, I think in the Heisman conversation within a couple of weeks. So I, I can't say any names. I think it's more just, there's this, this vacancy list right here. It's like Spencer, you know, it's like one of those things where you, where you rip off uh, and it's like, you know, call Spencer Rattler. That's, this number. that's the, that's the only number that's on the telephone pole right now, but pretty soon I think you're going to see more staples of, of, you know, and paper sitting on these telephone poles of, Hey, vote for me for Heisman. And I think it's going to be a young Heisman this year as well. And, you know, you know, what happened with the Heisman last year, Dante wasn't on anybody's Heisman chatter coming into the campaign. And, and I love the fact that they reward a wide receiver as well. So I think there's some more open thinking going on in the Heisman world right now, but if the Heisman really wants to open up their mind, they'd give Reggie Bush his damn Heisman back. Would. 100%. We agree. And also, look out for DTR once UCLA beats LSU. Again, it was, oh. a, lie. It was a lie, but if they beat LSU, absolutely, you can start talking DTR. All right, Rob. So uh, another, if you're, if you're just joining us, we're on nofilter.net. Another uh, feature with the program or the uh, applications, we can actually share videos and we can talk through some of your highlights. 
throughout your life or your, your career, this is a unique one. So I'm going to play the video. And if you want to give us, provide some commentary about what's going on right now, I think it would surprise everyone. So we won't be able to hear it, but Rob, if you want to talk about what's going on here, a little play-by-play -play with the okay. bell. Uh, am I supposed to see something right now? Uh, yeah, this would be the video, and it, it may not be working for your end, but it looks like, uh, let me try this again. I'm only seeing you guys, and I, I lost some connectivity with you guys a couple times. It froze at the end, okay. but I'm not seeing anything. But you guys can bring it up, and I can just ad lib over it. <laughs> we we may have to come back to it later, but uh, tell us a little bit about you winning. You freeze on me. The uh, winning the WWE title. So we're we're no longer sharing, Rob. But we're we're talking about the uh, WWE title, the belt. Do you still okay. have the belt with the takedown? Could you give us a little backstory? Yeah. And All right. So yes, I am a former twenty four seven champion. Uh, somebody was asking me the other day, like, how long did you have that belt for? And I was like, seven to eleven seconds. I think it's about all they gave me to celebrate <laughs> before they quickly took it away from me. So, um, but you know, it was a totally staged pre-planned event um, and I knew it was happening and Triple H was in our office that day and, and he was doing a, a town hall with us and um, I was talking to him in this one room about what was going to happen and just I was totally nerding out you remember like Chris Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live when he would do those interview segments and he was all ruffled in a mess and it, it would be like Tom Hanks he's like do you remember that time you were talking to the volleyball that was awesome that's all he could say and mumble that was like me on Triple H I was just yammering and stammering and talking to him about old wrestling and, and this and that. But when I found out I was going to win the title, uh, my immediate concern was how am I going to lose the title? Because I knew it was going to be taken from me immediately. <laughs> and and I wanted to go, I wanted to go out with class, right? I wanted to lose that belt. Um, and so I, I was talking to Triple H. I said, hey, like, is there any way um, Elias could, could take a chair and just smack me over the back with it? And he's like, no, like he was actually kind of annoyed with me. He's like, no, you're not going to take, you're not going to take a chair and lose the belt. And I said, well, how about some of those fluorescent bulbs? Can he just smack them over my head? He's like, Vince <laughs> man will fire me if I let you take light bulbs to the head. And I said, how about, how about a low blow? You come under the carriage and you just give me a <laughs> and you drop me. And, and again, he like, the hands on my shoulder. He's like, you're going to get rolled up from behind and that's going to be it. And I was like, all right, Triple H, you know, that's, that's the way it's going to go. But it was, it was awesome. It was silly. If you watch the video back, uh, Elias rolls me up. And if you, if you can slow it down, and if there was another camera angle from the side, my head just misses our big, huge video board by like this much. Um, when he rolls me and my head goes this way, I had no idea. But I did have, um, it was on artificial turf, so I did get like a, a rug burn on my elbow. Or something that was my, my highest <laughs> moment. And out, out they went, and I, I haven't seen the title since. Uh, but it was still like an amazingly cool, ridiculous, stupid event that I love talking about. You can tell by my smile how much I enjoyed it. We loved it too. And if uh, Jake Paul reaches out to fight you on YouTube, just uh, not available. I'm, not, I'm busy that day. I want no problem. <laughs>
no part of that. I, I do I do these boxing workouts now, and I went, and the owner happened to be there today. He's like, how long have you been here? I was like, I don't know, like a month. He's like, yeah, not bad. Uh, and he's, you know, they put the pads, you know, so he's like, one, two, one, two, that, that type of stuff. And my brain, it's like too much information, like we are talking about earlier. You know, I, I still have to go one. All right, that's my left hand. That's a jab. Two is the right. And then he'll go like, you know, one, six, one. And I'm like, my hands are just like a mess and none of them are in the right spot. And he's holding his hands ready. And I, I, I gave him an uppercut that should have been a jab and I like just missing this dude. Uh, so no, I don't want Jake Paul and he doesn't want me. Uh, he doesn't want to see me running for minutes and minutes trying to cash a paycheck. All right, Rob, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here. We have a thing called the West Coast Swing. Just quick answers, one word answers. Um, I think there's, we have about four or five of them. So we'll wrap up there and uh, we can get you on your way. Does that sound good? Absolutely. All right. First one's for me. You've got to pick one place to have a burger. North End? Hercules. Hercules? Ur- All right. Hercules. <laughs> I had one yesterday. I had one yesterday. I needed it. I needed it. I found some Pappy Van Winkle on Saturday night. So um, let's just say the Hercules burger provided some <laughs> sustenance that my body needed. Okay, Rob, uh, you have a day off, a rare day off probably in your world. Do you go for a run, go to the, go to the beach, or watch your old bowling highlights? <laughs> beach, beach. I'm not, I don't have that big of an ego. Um, but I do stumble on the old bowling highlights every once in a while. For some reason, some ridiculous moment will happen that I need to, need to smile at. But, yeah, no, I go, I go to the beach. The beach is right there. I'm looking at it. That's a nice little place to have a, have a brain drain. What's your bowling average? Not good. Not good. Although I am, <laughs> I am the champion of my family, which doesn't say much, but it does say something because I have lost that belt. My wife, my wife out bowled me last time we bowled pre-COVID and we, we got back together. And I think I had like a 140 or 50 or 60 or something, but 200 is no chance. I'm, I'm right there piddling around in the 150s. I'm not a good bowler. If only right, I had... Rob. I only had, you know, an inroad to people who have intelligence about bowling. So do you, do you spin? You bet spin or straight? Spin or straight? What does that mean? Is that biking? Bowling. Are you, are you spin or do oh. you spin the ball? Or do you... <laughs> I, I, I want to spin, <laughs> sorry, sorry, but I'm straight. The bowling right. There's a whole different conversation. We're talking bowling. <laughs> I'm straight. I'm sadly, I'm straight as an arrow, but I want that hook so bad, so bad. Okay. So one of your uh, your stoneisms is hambone, and you, I believe, say it after the fourth strike. When yep. in actuality, it could be the second strike could be right. So, have you? How many hambones have you actually had? Either of the two strike or four strike variety the two let's be let's be honest here the two strike doesn't exist because i say so right <laughs> ham bonus four strike <laughs> back in back in youth soccer or back in youth bowling apparently they would give out a ham bone patch if you got two strikes in a row i had no idea i was oblivious to that fact and i just and i didn't even know ham bone was associated with bowling when i started saying it's four strikes in a row have i ever thrown four strikes in a row no i don't even know if i've done it like on an arcade game or week, so no again i'm not a strong bowler all right. So, Rob, last question here. It's a, it's a tough one. We saved it for the last one. This person has to be in your cell phone because at WSD, we're a referral system. It's the gift that keeps on gifting. Okay. So, based on your time today and how much fun you've had, 
who would you like to see come on the show next? And who could you potentially help us get? <laughs> it's one question, but there's really two questions in there. Uh, and it's a loaded one. Yes, it is. Uh, Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush. All right. That would probably work for the West Coast audience. I think so. Uh, so the, um, we've actually sent a text out to Ryan Leinert, Matt's brother. <laughs> so he might be asking you, who the hell are Ben and Kyle? <laughs> done and done. No problem. All right. Well, uh, I think we're all set. Enjoy Rob, the gymnastics, Rob. Yeah, I'm looking awesome. forward to it. Hey, and congrats <laughs> on the progression through your career. Enjoy Madison. Thank you. Enjoy I Madison. will. Have fun this weekend, and uh, we'll try to crash your front yard soon. You got it. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.